This is Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, sponsored by St. Francis Hospital, Ratchford Eye Center, Hartford Healthcare, MD Advantage, and UConn Health Orthopedic and Sports Medicine. Healthy Rounds provides general information regarding medical conditions and diseases. The information is not intended to create a doctor-patient relationship. You are encouraged to consult your own medical provider for advice that applies to your own medical care. And now, Dr. Anthony Alessi on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com. Welcome to Healthy Rounds, the show that provides you with up-to-date medical information. And we answer all of your health questions. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi. And it's great to be with you on this Saturday morning for our 30th consecutive program dealing with COVID-19. There's so much in the news this week. We have now surpassed 208,000 American lives dead from this virus. Over 7 million positive cases of coronavirus, COVID-19, and the President of the United States is now one of those statistics. He and the First Lady tested positive yesterday for COVID-19, and it has reached the headlines in the highest level throughout the world. What has it shown us? It's shown us that this virus has no boundaries. It doesn't care about your status your money, or your power. The only boundary to this virus is a mask. And people haven't figured that out yet. Matter of fact, the President of the United States hasn't figured that out yet. But I will tell you right now that that's the boundary. So if you think that you are more powerful than the virus, you're underestimating this enemy. In order to defeat the enemy, we need to start building our armamentarium of treatment and a vaccine. And until we do that, we're on defense. Identification, isolation, contact tracing. And we're going to talk about the treatments. And we're going to talk about what's in the armamentarium. Some of the things you've heard about in the last 24 hours, the Regeneron antibodies. We're going to talk about convalescent plasma. My guest today is going to be Dr. Danielle Ibrahim. Dr. Ibrahim is the Regional Chief of Quality for Trinity Health of New England. He is a neurotoxicologist and a medical doctor. And he was in charge of the study conducted right here at St. Francis, where we looked at convalescent plasma. He's been on the show before at the initiation of this study, but now the results are available, and he's going to talk to us about that. But let's get back to prevention, okay? It's something we spend a lot of time on this show about. I've decided this show should be more uplifting. Let's find out what we could do to help ourselves, right? We had Dr. Ralph LaGuardia on, who is a primary care physician, talk to us about vitamin D, about zinc, about vitamin C things you can be doing. But we also talked about general health, weight loss, eating a good diet, doing your best to build your immune system, getting sleep. And let's face it, whenever anybody talks about the president, President Trump, the next words out of their mouth are, he is obese. Okay? 
he is old. These are factors against us. Well, you know, you can't change your age, all right? But you can change your level of activity and your weight. And you need to do that if you're going to fight off this virus. The other thing that seldom talked about is sleep. The president often boasts that he doesn't need much sleep. I, I don't buy that. The body demands sleep. And sleep is key to building your immune system to either avoid the virus or to fight it off if you get this virus. So it's important for us to first focus, as listeners on this program, on our general health before we move forward and start talking about treatment. And I'm hoping the president, this has been a wake-up call for him and his various followers and family members who have ignored these things, especially masks, where he's actually gone out and criticized people. He's criticized Joe Biden for wearing a mask. But let's get to really where there's negligence here. And I don't use that term lightly. The Cleveland Clinic. The Cleveland Clinic is the number two hospital in this country based on U.S. News and World Report just published last month. Number two hospital system and hospital in the United States. And they let people in on their campus with no mask. Let's talk about it. The rule at the Cleveland Clinic is when you're in our buildings, everyone wears a mask. Same at UConn, same at St. Francis, same at Hartford Hospital. You wear a mask when you're on our property. Just try to get into, I don't care who you are, just try to get into one of our hospitals without wearing a mask. I don't care what your excuse is, you're going to be shown the door. But yet, on Tuesday night, at this debate, there was a double standard. And the Cleveland Clinic failed. It failed to protect people. Why? Because when you look at this, you have to understand that you... They let people, they offered people masks, namely the Trump family, and they refused. And they were not shown the door, thus exposing other people. And that is negligence by any definition of it. So with that, I hope that the Cleveland Clinic, this has been a wake-up call for them, that if you have rules, they apply to everyone, especially when we're fighting this foe. We're going to take a short break, and then we're going to be back. The phone number's here, 860-522-9842, 1-800-966-9842. In the next segment, we're going to be talking about some emails. Um, we're also going to be talking about one of my favorite topics, Dr. Scott Atlas, um, and uh, his uh, words of wisdom for us. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi. And uh, we're talking about COVID-19 and the science uh, behind it. Uh, we've had a, a lot of things going on, and we have a lot of people who uh, call themselves scientists and pseudoscientists. Uh, but I think it's important for people to have 
uh, all sides of the equation. And that's why we invite people on um, with multiple sides of the equation. Um, the latest has been that there's been a strong push for herd immunity. And there are a lot of people out there um, who uh, advocate for this. Uh, I mentioned Scott Atlas, uh, who is an advisor to the president. Um, there's another fellow out there named Chris Martinson. Um, Dr. Martinson is a PhD. Uh, he is a neurotoxicologist and uh, is um, advocating for no restrictions, no mass, and reaching herd immunity. We've talked about the numbers here before on herd immunity. And when it comes to herd immunity, uh, it's the idea that you can get a large percentage of the population uh, and get them to be have antibodies after they have contracted the disease. That's what we're talking about if you don't have a vaccine. Obviously, with the vaccine, it's a lot easier in terms of getting to that point. But in this case, um, I was given Dr. Martinson's name, and, uh, you know, he's a PhD. Uh, he, and a lot of the people who are out there enjoying their 15 minutes of fame uh, don't treat patients, right? We have Scott Atlas, uh, Chris Martinson, uh, another name is a fellow named Witkowski. Uh, again, they, they don't treat patients. My guest today is going to be somebody who does treat patients and is a neurotoxicologist. But Dr. Martinson um, is critical of Dr. Anthony Fauci um, because Dr. Fauci, in response to Rand Paul, uh, felt that it was not applicable to compare Sweden to the United States. And when looking at this, Sweden um, has a lower death rate than the United States from COVID-19. And they did not have the same restrictions we had in the United States. Uh, Dr. Fauci responded that he didn't feel that it was a good comparison between Sweden and the United States. And instead, Sweden should be compared to other Scandinavian countries, which is a good point. And Dr. Martinson was highly critical of this point, thinking that they should be this comparison. Well, I refer you to uh, the New England Journal and my show last week, in which in the second segment, we talked about the idea of general health and the mortality rate in each country. So why is it not fair, Dr. Fauci's point, why is it unfair to compare the United States to Sweden? It's unfair because people in Sweden live a lot longer than we do. Their general health is much better, whether it's because of exercise, whether it's because of diet, or whether it's because they have a better health care system in their country. okay, And that's the key point. With better support, better prevention, better health practices, you will live longer. So Dr. Fauci's point is well taken, that you should be comparing Sweden to countries with similar mortality rates, like Norway, 
like Finland, like France, like Luxembourg, like Japan, but not the United States, where our mortality rate is almost three years, is, is three years shorter than people who live in these other countries. So we get on that, and uh, that becomes um, an issue in trying to compare countries. So that is my response to uh, Dr. Martinson. Um, we have David on the line. David, you have a question for me? Uh, good uh, morning, uh, Dr. Alessi. Um, Who's David? I'm, yes. I, um, I guess appreciate do. the opportunity to speak you know, with you. I one of the things uh, have followed your have attempted to um, do this program. Yeah, David, you're on the you're on the air. Yes. Uh huh. I have followed your program for some time, and I think most of the time when you stick to the science, I'm able to follow you, and I support you doing that. But I think you spend an awful lot of time on this COVID-19, criticizing one side of the aisle and ignoring or elevating things on the other side of the aisle, and I think it takes away from your message. I also think there's some science you're leaving out, but I'm not going to go there today. Now, I just ask you to focus on the science, and um, I've been a healthcare professional, and I know that there's a distinction between overweight and obese, and I think your use of that term is pejorative in your previous remarks, and I just encourage you to stick to the science, leave the politics out of it, and let the rest of us decide where we stand on those other issues. Thank you very much, and that's sure. all I have to say for this morning. Sure. Thank you, David. And uh, please don't hesitate to email me if you have other questions. Um, uh, David's point is well taken. Um, but unfortunately, the science is very much wrapped up. Now, I don't understand why he means obesity, and I'm using it in a pejorative term, because we know that obesity is a problem. It is not a healthy condition. It is a problem many of us, and I include myself in that, struggle with that on a regular basis. But we know that the science shows us that people who are obese don't fare as well with COVID-19. So if I'm presenting some fallacy here in terms of the science, I mean, we're talking about the numbers of deaths. We're talking about potential treatments. And uh, I encourage people, if there is science that I'm ignoring, true science that I'm ignoring, I'm happy to do that. I think the problem here is, is when you call people out by name, right? And, and maybe in the past I've been very passive about that, okay? But it's gotten to such a critical role in this country. 208,000 people dead. And we have people out there telling us that you don't need to wear a mask, that they have a right not to wear a mask. And I have to tell you that they don't have science to support that, and people are dying. So if I sit passively on the side, now, if, if hey, listen, if you don't like what I'm saying, turn off the radio. I'm okay with that. I could take it. But by the same token, I, I'm glad David called in. And again, I encourage him, shoot me an email. If I'm missing something, let me know. 
But we're coming up on the most important election of our lives. And people have to know the facts. Heck, I don't believe in everything the people who come on this show say. I mean, Dr. LaGuardia is a friend of mine. Do I believe everything he said about prevention and uh, treatment? No, I don't. I don't. But that's why I invited him on this program. So I invite people who can present good science. And by I mean that, these are people who actually treat patients. So I'm a little bit tired of these pundits who get their 15 minutes on Fox to come out and tell us when they've never looked at a patient, they've never written a prescription, they've never treated a family. Okay, so one of the things they're espousing now is ivermectin. Ivermectin is a drug used for uh, tapeworm. We use it in Haiti. I haven't used it here. But in a Petri dish, it inhibits... COVID-19 and the coronavirus. Okay? That's fine. What does it do in humans? We don't know. So it falls into that bucket, for lack of a better term, with hydroxychloroquine and others. So if politicians are going to be out there talking science, then it's fair game to talk about the politicians who talk about science. So, David, thank you for the call. And I appreciate all the calls and emails and advice from my listeners because it's our show and I like to include everybody in that. With that, we're going to take a short break and then we're going to be back with my guest, Dr. Daniel Ibrahim. Um, he is the Regional Chief Quality Officer for Trinity Health of New England. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi. And my guest today is Dr. Daniel Ibrahim. Dr. Ibrahim is the Regional Chief Quality Officer for Trinity Health of New England. He is a medical doctor and has a master's degree in public health. His fellowship was in neurotoxicology, so he is very familiar with the challenges faced by COVID-19. And uh, he was the lead uh, director for the convalescent plasma clinical trial being done, uh, that has been done at uh, St. Francis Hospital through Trinity Health of New England. Uh, Dr. Ibrahim, welcome to the show. Oh, hello, Tony. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be with you. I'm certainly delighted to share um, um, the study results and also any insights that come up with our audience. So let's go, uh, let's talk a little bit about treatment in general uh, before we get into convalescent plasma. Um, what are the treatments now? We're hearing things that the president is getting the Regeneron uh, antibodies, uh, remdesivir. Um, what's in, uh, as clinicians, what's in our uh, bag and our armamentarium to treat people with COVID-19? That's a great question to start with. The way I like to frame it is perhaps to make it a bit easier to wrap ones around the, the, like you said, the whole variety of different treatments that are available, is to uh, decipher how the virus affects the body. 
so we know when the virus is, uh, a, a person is infected early on, uh, they have the virus circulating in a very large amount in their body. And then later, as the disease progresses, uh, the virus uh, seems to trigger an inflammation response. And many times it affects many organs. And so if you look in that, because if you can, can imagine that, and look at the treatments that are available and, and just try to map them to that course, so we start with that early on when the person has the virus and the virus is really in large quantity in their body, there are therapies like the monoclonal antibodies that, that you mentioned, Tony, that will um, uh, 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 be effective potentially because it can neutralize the virus before the virus uh, now is really progressing and causing more damage. Danielle, I'm going to have yeah. to interrupt you. I'm being told that we have an emergency break-in uh, from CBS News. Um, so let's everybody stay posted, and maybe we can get back to you, so stay on the line. Uh, Joe, you're going to go to the news. Major Kurt Klein, Army nurse. Commander Megan Nasworthy, Navy nurse. Lieutenant Juliana Le Levopa, Navy nurse. Lieutenant, Lieutenant Commander John Shea, clinical pharmacist. And not present with us are Lieutenant Beth Carter, Lieutenant Maureen Meehan, both Navy nurses, and Dr. Jesse Schoenow, Director of our Executive Medicine Program. As reported yesterday, consultation with this group, I recommended we bring the President up to Walter Reed as a precautionary me measure to provide state-of-the-art monitoring and any care that he may need. Just 72 hours into the diagnosis now, the first week of COVID, and in particular days 7 to 10, are the most critical in determining the likely course of this illness. At this time, the team and I are extremely happy with the progress the President has made. Thursday, he had a mild cough and some nasal congestion and fatigue, all of which are now resolving and improving. At this time, I'd like to bring up Dr. Dooley to discuss some of the specifics of the President's care. Thank you and uh, good afternoon. I'm Dr. Sean Dooley, as uh, Dr. Conley mentioned. I'll start off by uh, mentioning what, a, what an incredible, uh, how incredibly proud I am of our medical team assembled behind me uh, and the honor it's been to care for the, the President over these last uh, 24 hours here at Walter Reed. He's receiving outstanding multidisciplinary care, uh, the state of the science uh, for coronavirus infection. We are monitoring him very closely uh, for any evidence of complications from either the coronavirus illness or the therapies that we are prescribing to uh, make him better. We have monitored his cardiac function, uh, his kidney function, his liver function, all of those are normal. And the president this morning is not on oxygen, uh, not having difficulty breathing or walking around uh, the White House medical unit upstairs. He's in exceptionally good spirits. And in fact, uh, as we were completing our multidisciplinary rounds this morning, uh, the quote he, he left us with was, I feel like I could walk out of here today. And, and that was a very encouraging comment from the president. Moving forward, I'll, I'll go ahead and introduce Dr. Garibaldi, who will talk about some of our therapeutics and the plan for plan of care for today. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Dooley. And I'd like to echo the sentiment from the entire team, what a, a honor and a privilege it is to be part of this multidisciplinary unit to care for the president. Um, about 48 hours ago, the president received 
uh, a special antibody therapy directed against the coronavirus, and we're working very closely with the company to monitor him uh, in terms of uh, that outcome. Um, yesterday evening, he received his first dose of IV remdesivir, and our plan is to continue a five-day treatment course for remdesivir. And the big plan for today, since he's in such great spirits and doing well, is to encourage him to eat, to drink, to stay hydrated, to be up out of bed, and to be working and doing the thing, things that he needs to do uh, to get well. Um, and I'll refer Dr. Connolly to any, any questions. Thanks, Brian. It's important to note the president's been fever-free for over 24 hours. Uh, we remain cautiously optimistic, um, but he's doing great. Um, with that, oh, one other note. It should be clear that uh, he's got plenty of work to get done from the chief of staff. And he's doing it. Um, with that, if there's a couple questions about the president's health uh, in the last couple days. Sir, can you tell us the president's uh, oxygen saturation level, please? Yeah, so the, the last uh, saturation that we had up walking around, he was uh, about 96%. He has not received any supplemental oxygen? He's not on oxygen right now, that's right. He's not received any at all? He's he's not needed any, but any uh, this morning today at all. That's right. Do no, he's... Do you have an estimated date when he might be discharged? Uh, well, I don't want to put a hard date on that. Um, he's doing so well, but the, the, with a known course of the illness, days 7 to 10, we get really concerned about the inflammatory phase, phase 2. Um, given that we provided some of these uh, advanced therapies so early in the course, a little bit earlier than, than most of the patients we know and follow, um, it's hard to tell where he is uh, on that course. And so uh, every day we're evaluating, does he need to be here? Uh, what does he need? Uh, and where is he going? is the probability that he will need supplemental oxygen going forward? Uh, I don't want to put a uh, percentage on that, but, but right now all indicators are that, uh, uh, that he'll remain off of oxygen uh, going forward. And in terms of like blood clots, pneumonia, bacterial infection, what do you see as the risk on that front? Uh, well, we know that all of them are risks associated with this condition. Um, uh, he is receiving all of the uh, standard of care and beyond uh, per routine, you know, international COVID protocols. Um, so uh, we're monitoring for all of that, um, but at the moment, there's no cause for concern. You said he was he's fever free now. What was his fever when he had one, sir? Uh, I'd rather not give any specific numbers, but he but he did have a fever uh, Thursday into Friday, and since Friday morning, he's had none. Okay. And what was the date on top of the other antibodies? I'm sorry. Why remdesivir on top of the antibodies? Uh, so remdesivir works a little bit differently than the antibodies. We're maximizing uh, all aspects of his care, uh, attacking uh, this virus. You know, multi-pronged uh, approach. Uh, as the president. Um, I didn't want to hold anything back. If there was any possibility that it would add value to his care and expedite his return, um, I wanted to take it. And uh, the team agreed, and that's what we proceeded. Doctor, what was the date of the president's last negative test? Uh, I'm not going to get into all the testing going back, um, but but he and all the staff routine uh, routinely uh, are tested, um, and so. Doctor, what is the? You've been listening to an update on President Trump's condition at Walter Reed Medical Center, Army Medical Center in Bethesda, Maryland. Uh, the update from uh, Dr. Dr. Connolly there that you heard, uh, he is fever-free. It does not require or has not required any oxygen. The doctors 
uh, encouraged uh, by what they're seeing or what they've seen in these last few hours. They are encouraging the president to uh, eat and drink, get up out of bed. And uh, they uh, said also he's got uh, plenty of work to do from the chief of staff. As uh, had been reported earlier, he'd been uh, administered an antibody cocktail and remdesivir as part of his treatment. We'll have more at the top of the hour, and we'll continue to follow this uh, all afternoon as warranted. We'll get you back now to Dr. Anthony Alessi and Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. Thank you, and that was a, a great update from CBS News. and. Um, has given us more to talk a little bit about with uh, my guest, uh, Dr. Uh, Daniel Ibrahim. Uh, Daniel, are you back there? Yes, I am. I am on with you. Great. So we've heard about the armamentarium um, used for the president, and um, I'm very happy to hear that he is doing well. um, And really, it exemplifies some of the progress we've made in treatment. But um, since we've we've cut things short somewhat uh, by that uh, news conference, I'd like to get into where we are with convalescent plasma. Many of our listeners have been curious about it. How does it work? Is it now available? What what can we expect? Yes. Um, so let's focus on that. So convalescent plasma um, has um, antibodies that are typically recovered from uh, patients who recovered. COVID-19. In our uh, clinical trial that uh, was uh, we conducted at Trinity Hospital, and we recruited patients from three sites in Connecticut and also one site in Western Massachusetts, that clinical trial um, went on for six weeks and was concluded. Now the results are available. Our results um, suggest that giving convalescent plasma to hospitalize patients with COVID-19 early in their disease course, meaning before they have progressed to a point where they need, for example, advanced invasive respiratory support. But if, if we are able to give them convalescent plasma on their entry to the hospital when they have still need for oxygen, but their situation hasn't deteriorated at that point, and two, give them convalescent plasma with adequate Antibodies. These are the two really critical um, um, pointers in our study. And these patients, um, the, the our results suggest that they have they recover. Uh, more of them recover and survive as compared to the group um, that receives convalescent plasma later in their disease course. Typically, when they have a full-fledged um, multi-organ system failure, including respiratory failure and needing invasive ventilatory support. So that's really, in a nutshell, the good news that our study added to accumulating evidence that is suggesting that medicine plasma is beneficial, um, and like with a pointer that with some factors that tend to make uh, uh, the therapy more effective if you basically pay attention and apply them. Danielle, when should we give it to them? At what point in treatment are you using convalescent plasma? Yeah, I believe, so based on our study and also based on my uh, closing very closely, uh, the results of other studies like ours, including a very large uh, cohort from the Mayo Clinic Expanded Program, it's, 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 I believe that if we, if a patient comes in 
were symptoms of COVID-19, hospitalized symptoms, and has um, an oxygen need, meaning their oxygenation is below, um, I would use a definition of what, what I call a severe definition, which is uh, their oxygenation is equal or less than 93%. At that point, I really believe it's, it's fair and it's prudent to con con consider convalescent plasma uh, for that group of patients. Early, um, and there's evidence that the patient has uh, uh, some significant symptoms, but it's not too late to give it to make a difference. Um, all right. So what I'm hearing is we're going to treat people with convalescent plasma before they go on a respirator, when they start dropping their pulse oxygen level. Um, so let's talk about remdesivir. We've used remdesivir typically when people have become more critically ill. Are we going to start using that um, earlier in the course of treatment, much as they announced today that they used uh, in the president? Are we going to start using that more routinely in our hospitals? Yeah, as a matter of fact, actually, the FDA have, uh, they have revised their recommendation on remdesivir. Now, the use of remdesivir is recommended for all, all hospitalized patients that come in with COVID-19s and they have symptoms. So, and in, in now, and really we here at Trinity Health New England and actually Trinity Health at large are adopting that recommendation. Patients come into the hospital but with COVID-19 they have symptoms. Um, even, you know, we're not waiting to the point where their oxy oxygenation is deteriorating. So they are in the hospital, they need hospitalization, and, and our, our providers are considering remdesivir early. If you think about it, it makes sense. So you have the, uh, the, the, the early on, we assume the virus is circulating in one's body. So you want treatment uh, or therapeutics that target the virus. Remdesivir does that. So remdesivir interferes with the virus's ability to replicate and cause illness early on. The same also applies to convalescent plasma or even monoclonal antibodies because the convalescent plasma and monoclonal antibodies will neutralize the virus. So the two, the, that kind of group of therapy, including remdesivir, in my opinion, it makes sense to consider them early in the disease course. Okay. Now, even earlier in the disease course, it looks like we're starting, we're going to start using monoclonal antibodies and the Regeneron product, much like the president got. Um, I understand that that's not been approved. Um, the, uh, they've only had 275 people studied, but let's face it, Daniel, we've had a, a good experience with monoclonal antibodies in other conditions, including infections, including cancer, including neurologic conditions. Um, do you see that being part of the armamentarium very soon? I believe so. I, I think it's unfortunate that, you know, now we've got to kind of focus on it because of the president's situation. Now, I'm like you. I wish him well, and he's in my prayer to recover. But I, I agree with you. I think as the trials are ongoing, still early, um, and, and he received it as part of the experimental protocol. But I, I believe that's really, there's hope, you know, that we know that logically makes sense, and, you know, there's a precedent in other scenarios that, that would help. So I'm hoping that as, as, as the trial go on, but we have more evidence that that would be shared, and hopefully we'll be able to use the science 
to direct us how to use it best. Now, if you want to intuit it, we want to cover also, you mentioned the armatorium or the all the possibilities of, and we have learned a lot, you know, come a long way six months ago when, when we first started, we didn't really know a lot about the virus. And now we know a lot more about the virus um, and also how to treat it. The other group of therapies are steroids. So that, that tends to focus on uh, what happens to patients down the road when they progress. Um, the, they, they, so we know that the virus uh, causes direct uh, damage to the lungs, but also the virus um, is able to trigger inflammation, widespread inflammation that affects other organs besides the lung. And we know based on a very large, well-designed study out of the UK that dexamethasone or the group of steroids, uh, they are certainly um, beneficial and not just beneficial in terms of symptoms um, or links to stay in the hospital, but actually makes a difference in survival. If you give them to those patients who have need for oxygen or those patients who already are advanced on ventilators, so you can save lives if you use that, that, that group of medications too. Danielle, thank you very much for your time today. Um, I know it was shortened, but I think we got all the topics in. And I especially want to thank you because uh, part of what we're trying to do is find out where is their hope in fighting off this pandemic. And I think since you've been last on the program, we've made a lot of progress in terms of the acute treatment of people who have COVID-19. Danielle, thank you. And thank you for all your work on this study and all of the folks over at Trinity Health of New England. Thank you, Tony. And, and, and uh, it's, it's really absolutely my pleasure. And I speak on behalf of the leadership team at Trinity Health New England, all our, our staff and collectively our organization. We're very happy to continue to be the beacon of One Hope and also providing service to our community at large here in Connecticut and Western Massachusetts. Thank you. Great. Thank you very much. Uh, in closing, uh, we have a lot of information going out there. Um, I want to say that uh, we wish uh, the best and our prayers go out to President Trump, as they do to all of those people, um, including my patients who are fighting the COVID-19 virus. Um, I have received messages saying that I hate Donald Trump. I don't hate anyone. Um, but I also don't think he should be leading this country in the middle of this health crisis. Um, it is not a liberal position. It's not a conservative position. It's a medical position. And that is based on the health information. And what we do on this program is present you with health information and information to make you healthier. And I think we've done that. We do a good job of that with uh, Dr. Ibrahim today. So with that, I want to encourage everybody to stay healthy. Do your best to stay healthy. Get the flu shot. We're going to be talking about it next week. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WCIC News Talk 1080. This has been Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi. Sponsored by St. Francis Hospital, Ratchford Eye Center, Hartford Healthcare, MD Advantage, and UConn Health Orthopedics and Sports Medicine. Be sure to tune in next Saturday morning at 11 for more Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com.